Welcome to Northside today. What a day to come together and worship our great God and Savior. We're excited to have you here with us, and we're eager to be able to worship the Lord together today. Uh, if you're a guest, know we're glad you're worshiping with us. Hope you'll take time to tear off the side of the bulletin, fill out your information there, drop that in the offering plate as, a, as you're offering to us here as the plate's passed before you in just a little bit. Uh, we'd like to know more about you and be able to, uh, to tell you more about who we are here at Northside. Uh, so let's take a moment to greet each other. If you see someone you don't recognize, go say good morning, and we'll continue to worship together here in just a few moments.
down into time and wrote the story of his love for everyone. He has filled our hearts with Your love made a way to let mercy come in. 
Rejoice as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. That's when death was arrested and my life began.
I spin in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. By God's word at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned. Till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. Now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. because that's not the song that was in the order of worship. <laughs> but we're here. Uh, first of all, I want to say before I pray, I don't know if it's been mentioned, but keep in your heart how good God was to us throughout the storm. Uh, and keep in your hearts all those who've lost a lot and lost everything. Pray for them and take care of them when we can. But we just experienced a mess to clean up. We're very fortunate, and I thank and praise God for that. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all that you do for us on a daily basis. If we just turn to you and trust in you, we can see our way through just about anything. We thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this gathering here of fellow worshipers. Let us give you praise and thanks for everything you do because you do everything for us. We ask that you take our tithes, our offerings, bless them, give us a cheerful heart, be a cheerful giver, and may they do good works for your kingdom. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Thank you.
invite the children to come up here and have a seat with me. Good morning, boys and girls. How's everybody doing today? Good. I got something I want to share with you here. Uh, some people may remember this. Uh, you may know what this is called. No. A didgeridoo. That's right. It's called a didgeridoo. No, it's not a telescope. This is a musical instrument. Okay? And I can play this. Right? So, pretty neat, huh? Did you want me to play it? Okay, okay, okay. So, all right, so you don't want to play it because i got to blow on it. You don't want to blow on it after I blow on it, right? So let's see if I can get a sound out of this. You guys ready? So, you guys can go to children's church now. <laughs> so that is called a didgeridoo. Your dad has one too? I bet he can play it better than I can. So, that is called a didgeridoo. And there are people who can play these things for a long, long period of time. I have to stop because I have to take a breath. But there are people who can play this without ever stopping to take a breath. They, they can breathe through their nose and blow out through their mouth and play it without stopping, uh, which is really, if you know anybody that plays any kind of an instrument that they play with, with, with wind, that's hard to do, to, to play it without stopping, without stopping to take a breath. But could I go get better at playing this? What would I need to do to go get better at playing this? What would I need to do? practice, and I, would pro I could probably take lessons, right, because there's lots of people that give didgeridoo lessons in Coweta County, right? So, so I could practice, and I could go take lessons, perhaps if I lived in Australia, probably not in Coweta County. So I could get better at this, or if it was a guitar or, or any kind of instrument, I could get better, right? Well, let's see here. What's in my pocket here? Do you know what this is? It's a... It's a dollar bill, okay? So this was a didgeridoo, and, and we, we, just, we learned that I could get better. I could, I, could, I could learn how to do this better. This is a dollar bill. Is it possible for me to go get more of these? Okay. There are some ways to get more of these, uh, preferably legal ways, okay? So, so let's think of legal ways to get more of these. What could I do to get more of these? What could I do? I could go to the bank, uh, and maybe I have some there. What if I don't have any more that I don't own anymore? What could I do to get more of these? I could get a job, and if I got a job, they would give me, hopefully, if it's a good job, they would give me more of these. So if I, have a, if I only have a few of these, and I need a few more of these, and I could go get a job and get more of these, okay? I have one more thing to show you, and it's this thing on my wrist. What are these things called on our wrist? They're called watches, and what do watches do for us? They tell time. They tell me how many minutes are left in my day, right? So I can, I can become a better player on any musical instrument by getting lessons. I can, I, can, I can work on that talent. I can hone my skills. I can get a job and get more money. Is there anything I can do to squeak a few more minutes out of my watch? Nope. 
There's nothing I can do, right? Uh, but it doesn't make more minutes in my day, right? It's still the same. So, so that means of all the things that I've shared today, the, the talent of playing an instrument, the, 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 the finances, the money that I have in my pocket, I can get more of those things. But when it comes to time, can I get more of that? I can't. I can't get more of that. So that means that of all the things that I share, the thing that's most precious, the thing that, that, is, that is most valuable is, is not really the money that I've got and not even really my, my keen sense at playing the didgeridoo, but my time, because that's something I can't get more of, right? Which is why the Bible tells us to, to be careful with our, our time. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us to carefully watch our days because we don't have that many. We, don't, we're, we can't add more to it. And so of all the resources, all the things that we have that are valuable, our time is the most, which means when we think about how we spend our time, we should make sure we're spending our time to the glory of God and making sure that we're spending our time in a way that God's pleased with because that's the most precious thing, that, that, that the precious resource, the precious, most precious thing that, we, that, that, that we're given to take care of, okay? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for our talents, our, our treasures, our time, Lord. God, we can work on our talents, and we can certainly find ways to get more treasures, uh, but we can't make more time. And so God, teach us, to, uh, teach us to be very careful with that resource. God, teach us to take care of it in a very important way, Lord, because it's something we, can't, we don't have any more of. And so God, help us in that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. You go to the Lord. stand again as we sing. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of life if the way of the cross I miss. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go. must needs go on in the blood-sprinkled way, the path that the Savior trod. If I ever climb to the heights sublime, where the soul is at home with God, the way of the cross leads home, the way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go, the way of the cross leads home. Then I bid farewell to the way of the Lord, to walk in it nevermore. For my Lord says, come, and I speak my home, where the wait at the open door. The way of the cross leads home, the way of the cross leads home, it is sweet to know as I onward go, the way of the cross leads home. There are days that I am thankful that I don't have kids that come up in children's sermons anymore. And I pray for you that do. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5. You're already standing. That's good. 
Ephesians chapter 5, let's look at verses 15 through 17 today. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. Look carefully how, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the precious commodity of time. May we make the most of it. Um, as we work our way through this life that you've called us to. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Appreciate, Mike, uh, what you said. Uh, as far as the, the storm and things go, uh, I, I'll reiterate, if you have any damage or anything that you need some help with, uh, you know, maybe it's not much for an insurance claim, but it's something bigger than what you can handle, please let us know. Uh, Mike loves working a chainsaw and raking leaves and, uh, and all that sort of stuff, and so... Uh, Seriously, though, please do let us know because because uh, we've got some guys that would love to serve in that capacity, and uh, and and we want to make sure that uh, that we take care of those in our in our own family here. Um, and if you see your neighbors have got issues, uh, what a great way to go minister to your neighbors uh, than to uh, to go talk to them and and uh, and see if there's anything that they need. And uh, and we certainly, as a church family, will rally around those in this time of need. Uh, great American philosopher uh, said this. Uh, this this quote here, he said, how'd it get late so soon? It's night before it's afternoon. December is here before it's June. My goodness, how the time has flown. How did it get late so soon? From Dr. Seuss. Uh, now, I don't know that that's in a book that you can find, but uh, that's a short poem that he had, uh, he had written uh, some time ago. You ever felt like there's not enough hours in the day? I think that's a that's a common refrain when that question is asked. I've never met anyone who says I've just got so much time. Uh, I have more time to get everything done. That that when the day is done, I find myself with hours left to spare, not knowing what in the world I will do with myself. Interestingly enough, we do act that we have all the time in the world because we do spend quite a large amount of time doing things that probably waste more time than not. But isn't it, isn't it interesting that the common denominator among people is that we just don't seem to have the, the, the number of hours in the day that we need because there is that pesky thing called sleep that always catches up to us at the end of the day somehow or another. It's also interesting to think that people have had the same number of hours to work with for all time. So it's not that we've gained more, lost more. We, we have the same number of hours to work with and God, being the master of productivity, managed to make everything that has its existence in about six 24-hour days. And so even God worked within the, the confines of that, of that same calendar, that same schedule that you and I are still bound by today. The only one exception I could find is that Joshua, General Joshua, was actually granted a few extra hours of daylight to vanquish the Amorites. That's the only exception that I've been able to find where God indeed get, did give someone a few extra hours to his day. Actually, as much as a full day extra is what Joshua got. Um, but I suspect that at the end of that battle, Joshua probably still felt like he had been fighting for two days, um, even though God gave him a few extra hours of daylight. We all have the same length of time in our budget. It's a common denominator across cultures. It's a common denominator across socioeconomic classes. If you think about it this way, from the corporate CEO to the president to potentates and dictators and all of us, we all have the same thing in common, the availability of 24 hours in each day, give or take a few, based on how much sleep you need or don't need. 
with that valuable of a resource, and, and as I said, shared with the kids, we can go find more treasures, we can, go, we can work on our talents. Think about the value of time, something that we cannot add to, something that we don't get more of. With such a valuable resource at our disposal, it's no secret that God is concerned about what we do with our time. In talking about stewardship, we're rightly concerned with how we handle our financial resources. Are we squandering our finances? Are we giving generously? Are we living out of generosity? We're rightly concerned about those things. And we are certainly concerned with what we do with our human resources. Are we utilizing our gifts and talents to the, for the kingdom of God? Are we serving the Lord in some capacity through the body of Christ? Those are things that we are rightly concerned with, and the Bible certainly challenges us on that we should be generous with our, with our treasures, that we should be faithful with our talents, that we should be serving in some capacity or another. But as we have that conversation about stewardship, we must also recognize how important it is for us to steward our most precious commodity because it is also the scarcest commodity that we have, which is our time. You can make more money, you can hone your existing skills and learn new talents, but there is absolutely nothing you can do to get more time. No matter how smart your smartwatch is, tapping its face does not give you extra minutes in the day. I promise. This day will last but 24 hours, and folks have been generally unsuccessful in adding days to their lives beyond that which is granted to us from God. It's limited. It is scarce. From an economic standpoint, it is, in fact, our most scarce resource. And scarcity means it is also the most valuable. Well, here in the book of Ephesians, Paul reminds us that we need to be rightly concerned with the stewardship of our clocks. And here he says, making the most of our time, making the best use of our time. So the question that comes out of this is how then do we maximize our days to the glory of God when the majority of us feel like already that it's already so late, so soon? It's already so late, so soon. I didn't expect to be this age in my life. I didn't expect to be here as quickly as I am. I didn't expect to be a grandparent like I am now. I didn't expect to be an empty nester. I didn't expect to be a college graduate. I didn't expect to be walking down the aisle and getting married. All of these things are a blur. It has come on so fast. How did it get so late? So soon. So how do we maximize our days to the glory of God? I don't typically alliterate, but today you're in for a treat because this sermon is alliterated, and so this should be easy for us to remember today. If you look at verse 15, Paul says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. I love what the King James Version says here. It says in this verse, see then that you walk circumspectly. There's a word that you don't hear very much today. Walk with circumspection. Walk circumspectly. What does that mean exactly? Well, on Friday I was mowing the lawn trying to get some of the mess cleaned up from Irma because Mike was busy and didn't want to clean my yard up. And so I was trying to get some of that mess cleaned up in my yard. I was mowing the grass and getting the, the, the leaves taken care of and everything. And in my front yard, I've got several trees that, are, that I have to kind of navigate under and around. And I found myself dealing with these, some of you guys are fascinated with these things, these crab spiders. 
little bitty things, I mean, not, not bigger than the end of your pinky finger. They got that wider yellow shell on the back. They're kind of creepy looking when you get really right up on them and start looking at them. But I have these things everywhere in my yard. And for a little bitty fella like that, these things build a disproportionately large web. I mean, these things build a web that, that if, if, if I built a house the same size that they built a web, then, then I would be living in, in a, a gigantic mansion. And these things spin these things in like 10 minutes. I mean, it's, they're, they come out of nowhere. And I guess that's what's in that big shell is that's where they keep all their web slinging stuff. I don't know. But I have these things all over the place. Uh, and I found myself watching every single step that I took around those trees because of the, the, these webs that these things build. Because I'm going to tell you something, that you get a spider web on you and you'll do some funny dances that Baptists aren't allowed to do. But when that spider web gets on your bald head and you feel that thing crawling around, I, I mean, they'd think I was a Pentecostal in the front yard. Because it just gets up there and it just won't go away and you just find yourself fighting against this thing. And so I found myself to avoid the, the Pentecostal dance in the front yard. I found myself watching every step that I took to make sure that I didn't end up with my face inside one of these huge webs that this little tiny spider builds. When we talk about circumspection, this is exactly what we're talking about. Looking very carefully at what our next step is. Counting the cost of that next step. Is it, is it worth going where I'm about to go? Is it worth the risk of what I'm about to take upon myself? Is getting under that tree without paying attention worth getting into one of these awful spider webs that have these creepy little things in them? Is it worth it? When we talk about circumspection, we are talking about a high degree of awareness of where our steps are headed. And I find it interesting here that Paul isn't concerned about where you're walking, but more about how you're walking. Now here's the truth. Our lives are all different. And they all head in all sorts of different directions. Uh, you know, some, people, some people's life, their, their commute takes them to Atlanta. Some people's commute takes them to Noonan. Different people's lives go in different directions in all kinds of different ways. Now eternally... If we're all in Christ, the outcome is the same for us. We're all getting to that same, that same end destination for us. But, but the pathway that we take there, our lives look very different. Temporally speaking, we go in all kinds of different places and all kinds of different directions. And, and even as we age and go through different stages of life, our journeys take on different characteristics. If you're a parent of a, of a toddler or an infant, your, your journey looks a lot different than an empty nester. It just does, and, and that's not bad or indifferent or, or, or wrong. It's just you're doing things differently. You're doing life differently. If you, are, if you are in a career and you're at the pinnacle of your career, your life looks very different. Your journey is going to look different at that time than, than when you're retired and you've got more time that may be available, although I find many retirees tell me that they have less time available to them as a retiree than they had when they were working. And so our journeys kind of evolve with age and circumstances. But Paul's words here remind us, wherever we are in our journey, that we need to pay careful attention to how we're walking through that stage. So if you're a parent of a small child, pay careful attention to how you're walking that pathway. If you're a retiree, pay very careful attention. Walk through that journey with circumspection. Don't just, don't just lollygag through it. Don't just willy-nilly run through it. Pay attention. Walk with circumspection, know where you're going and how you're getting there. Pay careful attention. 
Well, how do we walk? Well, Paul says here that we should walk with wisdom. We should walk with wisdom. Last weekend, we had a, a work day out at the, the hunting lease that we're a part of out in Heard County, and, and I was walking across a footbridge out there. And as I was walking across this, this footbridge, I really wasn't paying as close attention to the wood on the bridge as I should have. And as one of my steps landed on a board just so right that the board on the footbridge broke, and my leg proceeded to go through that bridge, and, and thankfully I was able to catch myself before doing too much, too much carnage to my person. But I, I, I was not paying attention. I was not walking with wisdom. I wonder how many of us kind of go through life that way. We're just kind of roaming through life, not really paying attention to the danger that we may be approaching, not really noticing where our next step could land. I could have saved myself a busted shin if I had simply paid attention and walked with circumspection, if I had just paid close attention to where I was walking. Think about your own life. How much heartache, how much hurt, how much pain could we save if we just paid attention to that next step? If we just paid attention to that next step, where is that next step going to take us? You know, I've talked with a lot of folks who are, who are in tough situations. And almost everyone, well, not almost, everyone you talk to who gets into that, that, that desperate situation, they can always walk back and find that first step where, where things really went south, where things really went awry. And all it took was one step in that wrong direction, where they took that step without circumspection. They took that step without paying attention to what they were about to put their foot on. And it began a chain reaction. If they just walked that one step with circumspection, things may have been different. Look carefully then how you walk. Pay attention to how you walk. Walk with circumspection, knowing what every step you're taking is bringing you to. Well, the second thing Paul challenges us here is to remember that we're in a crisis. Remember we're in a crisis. Don't you get tired of hearing that? We are always in a crisis, aren't we? You turn on the news and it is always some sort of crisis. We could run down a list today of all the national, international crises that we face that are looming on the horizon. Maybe the crisis is looming just across the Pacific Ocean. There are legitimate crises out there. There are legitimate threats that are in the world today. But, but if you found yourself kind of almost getting tired of hearing about it. You, you almost wish that you could just wake up one morning and say, you know, there's not any threats on the horizon today. There's no moral crisis. There's no political crisis. There's, there's nothing that's, that's, that's going to, to potentially unravel my world today. I know we get tired of hearing it. But don't we behave differently when we understand there's a crisis coming? <laughs> yes, you do. How do I know you do? Because I went to the grocery store Monday morning. <laughs> uh, I went and, and tried to find D-cell batteries on Monday morning because my flashlight, the B-cell batteries were corroded and the flashlight didn't work and it seemed like a good idea to have a flashlight that was working other than the one on my phone. And I realized that, yes, indeed, humans do behave differently when there is a crisis looming. What happened, what, what happened last weekend? We anticipated a crisis, and man, did we prepare for it. We are all preppers when the crisis is looming. There wasn't a gallon of gas to be found easily in Coweta County. We bought the gas, all of it. 
we had bottled water to drink. We could have survived a, a, the water plants being flooded for six months because there wasn't bottled water to be found in Coweta County. For some reason, we bought milk and eggs. Why in the world did we buy milk and eggs? If it's a blizzard, we buy milk and eggs. If it's a tropical storm, milk and eggs aren't going to do us any good. Milk sandwiches are good in December, but they are not good with spoiled milk in August and September. There wasn't bread to be found. There was, why did we do this? And heaven knows we bought batteries. I ran in Home Depot to try to find batteries early Monday morning, and people were buying generators. They were in line to buy generators. $900 for generators. People were laying it down. They were preparing. They were getting ready. There was a crisis coming. I was thinking it was a good excuse to buy a chainsaw. Honey, I really need this chainsaw. There's a, there's a hurricane coming. And all I could find were electric chainsaws. <laughs> that would have been the most expensive chainsaw in the history of chainsaws, an electric chainsaw with a $900 generator to run it. We expected a crisis, and we prepared accordingly. Paul's crisis is in some ways far less specific. He says we should make the best use of our days because the days are evil. This summarizes everything wrong with the world today. We're living in evil days. We're living in evil days. Want to know what's wrong with the world? We live in evil days. Want to know why there's a insane dictator in North Korea lobbing missiles over Japan because we live in evil days. Want to know why the streets of Midtown are painted like rainbows? It's not because they're celebrating Noah's Ark. It's because we live in evil days. We live in evil days. And as long as there is this conflict between the kingdom of God and the power of darkness, before the powers of darkness are finally vanquished once and for all, we know the days are evil. And because of this, we can never let down our guard. We can never take our eyes off the road. We can not do so because we need to know that the days are evil. This means that there's always work to be done. There's always a mess to be cleaned up. There's always a broken heart that needs to hear there's hope in Jesus. There's always a spiritual hazmat situation that needs our attention. Always. If you think there's nothing to do, you don't realize that the days we live in are evil, and because we live in evil days, there's always a mess to clean up somewhere. And as Jesus' followers, we happen to know how to clean it up. We happen to know what the answer is. It's also interesting on Monday, I had a keen awareness of what time it was. Uh, weather prognosticators said that we had about, till about 2 p.m. before it was going to get rough. People who were evacuating South Florida knew that they had until Sunday morning to get out. And guess what? There wasn't time for delay. There wasn't time to, to count the time. There wasn't time for that. I wonder if we see the spiritual crisis of the evil around us in the same light. There's not enough time for delay. There's not time to wait. There's not time to, to, to stall on this. These are evil days. Now, Paul isn't calling us to walk around in fear. Rather, he is calling us to make the most of the time that we have. It is a limited, scarce resource. And since we have this limited, 
scarce resource, we must make sure that we are making the most of the time that we've been granted. We are representatives of the kingdom of God in this dark world, and it is our call to maximize our impact on that darkness and push that darkness back. That's our call. And so let us live our faith with a sense of urgency that I think we've lost in the comfort of our lives. When life is comfort, we lose a sense of urgency. When there's no crisis coming up the coast, we're not buying up batteries and stocking up on water. Guess what? You probably ought to have water stored in your house anyway. That's just not a bad idea. But we have a sense of urgency when we know there's a potential crisis looming. Guess what? Spiritually speaking, there's always a crisis looming. We always need to be ready. We all need to be preppers when it comes to the spiritual crisis that's looming. Well, thirdly, how do we, make the ma- how do we maximize our days? Paul says something about comprehension here. Paul says, let's not be foolish. Let's not be foolish and let us then, therefore, understand what the will of God is. Don't be foolish with how we spend our time. We need to know what God's will is. We need to know what God's desire is for His church. And it's the same desire that it has been for God's people throughout history. God's desire for His church is for people to point the darkness into the light. That's what God's desire is for His people. That was Israel's job, to expose the Gentiles to who God was, that they might follow Him and pursue Him. And it's the same goal that God has for His church today, that we are to be pointing darkness to show them what light is. It's what John the Baptist did. He said, my job is to point people to Jesus. Our job as the church is to point people to Jesus. BJ said it last week with the kids' sermon. It's to make disciples, and there's a process that we employ in that, in that act of making disciples. We share the gospel with those trapped in darkness, and for those who see the light, we walk with them that they might know what it means to walk in fullness of, of, of life in Jesus. But we spend a lot of time on things that really aren't helping us do that. Think of how much time is spent on things that are not helping us achieve that goal. This was a headline <laughs> on a, uh, uh, an a- article that was featured very prominently on a website that many of you turn to for your news. I can't imagine the amount of time spent on this, this article and this, this idea from these so-called Christians. First of all, I need to rewrite this, this, this headline. Let's strike the word biblical because it's not a biblical prophecy if it says the end of the world is coming next week, okay? So it's clearly not a biblical prophecy. And then that whole Christian numerologist thing. There's another one that, that might, uh, we might want to rework that one just a hair, okay? Let's rework that, okay? So let's change this headline into uh, lunatic pretending to be a Christian, says the world is ending on the 23rd. Let's change that. And then we have an accurate story. Okay? There are people who were spending time upon time upon time investing in this and how this is duplicated over and over again in so many different forms and fashions. What's the will of God? Make disciples. Evangelize the lost. Help the saved grow. Let's make disciples. Very simple. Let's make disciples. What does this mean? Does this mean that we all surrender our lives and enter into full-time evangelism? Actually, yes, it does. 
Say, oh, hold on, pastor, you just lost me. I was good with you till just then. Does this mean that God wants every single one of us to surrender our lives to him and enter into full-time evangelism? And the answer is a resounding yes, but not in the way that you're thinking. Does God want you to surrender your lives to him? Oh, yes. Uh, Every day. The Apostle Paul said that he had to die daily to himself and surrender to the Lord. Guess what? When you have to die to yourself, yeah, he wants all of you. He wants you to surrender your life to him. Does that mean you have to give up everything? Not necessarily. Does God want you to evangelize the lost? The answer is yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. All the time, yes. Does God want you to share your faith with that person? Yes, he does. So God wants you to surrender your life, and he wants you to share the gospel with lost folks. So, yeah, what I said is, is, is true. The good news for Christians who are a little reluctant to give up their jobs and give up football on Saturday is that the Great Commission has a, has a fantastic phrase in it, and it's grammatically known as a contemporaneous participle. I know you didn't come to church for a grammar lesson, but this is a good grammar lesson. Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. And then he says, Therefore, go. Now, we've preached this at missionary commissioning services. We've read this as we've sent people off into the mission field. We've sent it to countless missionaries on cards of encouragement and all those sort of things. And that's good and useful and beneficial and all those things. But the Great Commission is not limited to only those folks who say, I'm surrendering everything, and I'm going to go evangelize a tribe in Africa. That's not who the Great Commission only applies to. The Great Commission applies to each and every single one of us. And that's where this wonderful thing known as a contemporaneous participle comes into play. What did Jesus mean when he said, go and make disciples? Well, he didn't mean, go and make disciples. What? What he meant was, as you go make disciples as you go make disciples this means that we're all going remember what i said at the beginning that we're all kind of on different pathways different journeys through life we've all got different careers different family situations we've all got all kinds of different things it would be interesting to have us all just take time to say what we're going to do with our week what does your week look like where is your journey going to take you? Where is your place of business? What travel do you have planned this week? Where's your next vacation? Where's your next football game? Where's the next place that you're going? Because in reality, we're all going. And the Great Commission challenges us as we go. Therefore, make disciples. You mean at my workplace? I mean at your workplace. You mean in my school? I mean in your school. You you mean at the ball field? I can't yell at referees and make disciples at the same time. Come on, pastor. Yeah, at the ball field. Because you might look around and find the people yelling at the referees or folks that you have something in common with and might strike up a great conversation. You think he's a bad judge out there? Let me introduce you to the righteous judge. See, looky there, that was easy. That was easy. As you go, make disciples. Now, are there some who God sets apart into vocational missionary, vocational ministry, vocational evangelism? Sure. But the Great Commission for each of us is that as we go, we make disciples. It's how we maximize our days. 
See, God doesn't want us to lay down our career necessarily. I can't answer that for everybody. But generally, God doesn't want you to lay down your career. He wants you to baptize your career and use it for his glory. God doesn't want, want you to lay down your athletic prowess. If you're gifted in, as an athlete, he, you're only gifted that way because he did it. He doesn't want you to lay that down. He wants you to use it for his glory. He wants you to make the much, of, much of him in the way that you've been gifted. He wants you to use what you've been given to point people back to him. As you go, make disciples. And as we go, Paul's challenge for us here is that we better be paying attention to how we walk as we go. Because part of this process of paying attention, walking with circumspection, is that we walk in such a way that we are looking for opportunities to do God's will. We're not only looking for the dangerous next step, the dangerous pitfall, the board that's about to break under our foot. It's good to pay attention to those things. But as we go, we're also looking out for the opportunities that God sets before us to make much of him in the life of some dark, in, in some dark place somewhere. And since we understand, we understand all too well, that the hours that are left on our clock are limited, and that the hours that are left on our clock are characterized by a very real crisis of evil, then let us make the most of the most precious commodity that we have, our time, and use every minute to the glory of God and to the growth of his kingdom. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for the call to use our time to the glory of God. Lord, we acknowledge that we squander a lot of time. I think of how much, how many minutes I've wasted in foolish things and foolish pursuits, things that didn't help me grow, things that didn't help others grow, things that, if anything, push people away. God, help me to guard my steps, to walk circumspectly. God, help me to have a sense of urgency, knowing the crisis that we're facing. And Lord, help me to comprehend what your desire is, what your will is for me and for us as we seek to point people to Jesus. Father, I pray that if there's any here today that are not followers of Christ, that before they can do anything with their time, they've got to get their heart right. God, thank you for stepping into time to fix that situation for us by sending Jesus, God in the flesh, to come into this world, to, to walk in our shoes, to, to be tempted with our sin, yet to walk through in perfection, to die a criminal's death on a cross, to conquer death, that we might have new life. As we sang earlier, that our death might be arrested. God, if there's any here under the sound of my voice today that are not followers of Jesus, would today be the day of salvation, that they would say yes to Jesus, follow him, and then redeem the time that they have left for the glory of God. God, would you move in our hearts today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing. If you're here and you're not a Christian, today's the day of salvation for you. If you'll come and say, Pastor, I want you to tell me how to give my life to Jesus, I'd, be, I'd love to do that right now. We're going to stand together and sing. You respond as God lays on your heart. Oh, soul, are you weary? and trouble.
night for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's been good to worship King Jesus today, amen? Let's make the most of our time that he's given us. Let's, uh, let's do something good for the kingdom this week. Um, don't forget to read your bulletin and pay attention to all the announcements that are contained therein. Uh, our discipleship courses are getting back tonight after a couple of weeks off for Labor Day and things. And so, uh, so we've got our parenting class that will start at 4 o'clock. And then uh, we'll have our Apostles' Creed study in here. And then the evangelism study will be next door in the conference room. Those start at 6 o'clock. And then a WANA course sandwiched between there at 525. So, uh, so don't forget about those tonight as well. Uh, Bill Bailey. You mind coming up and dismissing us in prayer, please? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us today, for uh, reminding us to be diligent, to be not idle, uh, to be looking for your hand at work, for direction for the, uh, from you, dear God, to give us uh, hands of doing this upcoming week. Help us to lift each other up in prayer, dear God. Uh, help us to... Uh, see your hand and to follow um, dear father for those that uh, need your special touch dear god uh, comfort their hearts uh, direct their minds and, and their ways dear father and uh, uh, give us things to do as we seek your ways in christ's name we pray amen